Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to today's program, and I am in Wrexham in North Wales with a dear friend I've known for half a century. His name is George Verwa. He is the founder of Operation Mobilization, an extraordinary ministry. So, George, welcome to the program. Good to be back with you, and it's great to be here in, uh, in North Wales. And we're in the midst of a missions day here that's going really well. Now, for people who don't know anything about OM... Just give us a thumbnail sketch, how you found the Lord and how OM was founded. Well, I wasn't a Christian. My grandfather from the Netherlands who moved to the New York City area was an atheist. Uh, my dad was sort of a materialist. My other grandfather was uh, Scottish, Irish, English blood. He, I think that must be basically toxic. <laughs> and he was an alcoholic. So I didn't have much of a spiritual legacy, but I was a very happy kid. My parents were, I think they were seekers, and they eventually came to know Jesus. And this woman just put my name on her Holy Ghost hit list because (laughs) I was causing a bit of a stir in the secondary school. And she not only prayed that I'd become a Christian, she prayed that I'd become a missionary. Imagine. Didn't even discuss it with me. I had other plans, actually. And then she sent me a Gospel of John through the post, which really began the change. And clearly I was a seeker. I'd looked into different religions and, and as I read this gospel, it just, it just touched my heart. And then God sent his servant, Billy Graham, to New York City, not a crusade, that was some years later, just a one night meeting with a converted band leader named Jack Wurston, who founded Word of Life. And I heard the gospel clearly from the Bible, and when he gave that invitation to repent and believe, 20,000 people, Madison Square Garden, somehow God broke me. And I went forward and trusted Christ, and it's been a reality every day ever since. And And I believe you were involved in a a sort of an amazing move of the Spirit there at your school. Yeah, I went back to my high school. Everybody knew me. I was about to be elected president of the student council, which in the U.S. culture is a big thing, and about to be Mr. Ramsey High School. And There's a film about it now. But that opened the door to share with the whole school. We started prayer meetings. And people started coming to Jesus. And then after I went to university, I came back for one Christmas break. We had a big meeting. Hundreds turned up. And about 125, including my own father, uh, stood up to believe on, on Jesus. I'm not saying they're all biblically converted, but it was uh, it filled me with faith. And so I started evangelizing New York City, evangelizing door-to-door in my hometown. And then God, in his purposes, I was learning Spanish, he sent me to Mexico, which, without us knowing it, became the birthplace, really, of Operation Mobilization, a name we didn't take until it really exploded here in Europe. It's more of a European movement. Many Americans don't know about it, though, because America is so huge, and each denomination, you know, does their own thing so uh, so you, you you were at the Moody Bible Institute and that was later on later uh, on I went okay. to Maribel College first that's where I met Dale who ended up in Turkey yes. and it was after Mexico that I thought I'm going to get out of this 
place where they were, you know, they were actually attacking my faith. They, didn't, they decided the Bible wasn't God's word. And so that's when I transferred to Moody and Dale transferred to Wheaton. So the trip that you made to Mexico, was that under the name Send the Light? Yeah, that's the first name. I registered that actually in uh, the next year, 1958, and I got a board of directors. I've always been accountable to different boards, including uh, today, and that's been very important in, in my life. What I find extraordinary is that you got kicked out of Russia, and that began a whole new work for you. Can you take us through what happened in Russia? Yeah, that is really important because of our original vision. We esteemed other missionaries, and we met many of them at Moody. And we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Uh, but we saw that Turkey and Afghanistan, Iraq and Iran, Muslim places, were really uh, very few workers. And the few workers that came from there, they, they impacted us. Lionel Gurney of the Red Sea Mission Team, Francis Steele of North African Mission and so our original vision was just those Muslim nations, especially Turkey and Afghanistan. But then I was more and more concerned for the Soviet bloc, which was closed. So the original vision was closed countries, Soviet bloc, and, of course, these Muslim places. But I sent Dale to Turkey, and I hope it was the Holy Spirit. And uh, I chose to go to the Soviet Union. I soon got arrested due to my own <laughs> stupidity. And that changed everything. I went for the day of prayer. I realized we're going too fast. We need to get the church in Europe involved. They're, they're in Europe. They live next to Russia. And God, in this day of prayer, gave me this name, Operation Mobilization, which had never been used by the church. It's a military term. And my wife's father was killed in the war, and I thought, this horrible war. I've never, I'm highly impacted by the war. And so many deaths and all the Auschwitz and so I thought, can't there be a revolution of love and get Germans and, and British and French and Dutch to love one another and tell everybody in Europe about Jesus? And that's, he gave me that name, Operation Mobilization. He moved me from Spain, turned the work over to Spaniards. That's another whole story because Spain was semi-closed. That's where I was living. He moved me to London and he, the Holy Spirit, had prepared Great Britain for this strong message of missions in discipleship, especially Cambridge and Oxford. And a new book is just coming out this year about what God has been doing at Cambridge University in connection with global missions. What's it called? I don't know the name of the book. Ian, Ian Rendell, who wrote the OM story, yes. is the author of the book. Now, you mentioned briefly your wife, and you've got this hilarious story of how you first met her at Moody when she was distributing the films there. Can you just share that story? Yeah, I mean, I had so many struggles with with girls, and uh, you know, this was the age of romance. We didn't, we you know, you know, we didn't go to bed so quick with our girlfriends. We just, you know, went on hay rides and kissed up a storm. So I had a lot of different girlfriends, and uh, even after I became a Christian, you know, I, I led a girl to Christ, and then I kissed her for the next hour in my personal follow-up program. And uh, I realized I was addicted to romance, and I was really too infatuated with girls and that how would God use me if I didn't deal with that so I went on a cold turkey fast no more dating no more kissing no more girls uh, that's when I went to Mexico learned Spanish that's when this thing was born during those two years and then I ended up at Moody and there were so many attractive girls at Moody I was infatuated with seven in the first week crying out to God well, you know what to do 
And I didn't do anything. I was so into the word and prayer and evangelism. I thought that was a sidetrack from the devil. And then I went to rent this science film and the girl in charge of the films. This is absolutely true. It's in, it's, it's in the film. Uh, it was too much. My, you know, my romantic circuits blew. <laughs> I moved in on the target, said something completely stupid to her. And so she was really quite put off. But I managed to get her on that first date. Again, I thought maybe this is a trick of the devil to sidetrack me. So I tried to scare her. And I, this is absolutely true. I said, look, probably nothing going to happen between you and me. But suppose something did happen. You need to know I'm going to be a missionary. And if you marry me, probably you will be eaten by cannibals in Papua New Guinea. By the way, my wife and I have not visited Papua New Guinea. <laughs> She's still alive. Still alive, yeah. Right here in London. And we're staying in Great Britain. We love Britain. I could give you my, my uh, 25 reasons why I love Britain. But also it's 50% cheaper to die here than it is in, in the States. So that, that's getting a lot closer for me. We're, we're speaking with George Burwer. We have a lot in common. I have a wonderful wife also that has stuck with me for 56 years. And uh, So you made the big move to Britain. To start with, you were in Bolton, I understand. No, I first started in London. Oh, and you the, did? The next year I shifted to Bolton. Yeah, yeah. that's not a very glamorous place to... Uh, yeah, God is working in Bolton now, and the bookshop we opened there is still there. It's in the hands of CLC now, yeah. and that's in my film. Some of the film is about Bolton. Yeah. Now, you keep mentioning the film. Can we show it to yeah. the, the well, camera? It, this it, is the uh, film George for Real. George it's, for Real, and it's uh, like a documentary that they follow you around. Yeah. to all. The, now, you, you made a stipulation basically that you couldn't be scripted. You had to they have to just let yeah. you do it. Initially, I didn't want to do this. It just was not in my thinking. But as I prayed about it and talked to the owners of the film producing company, who was a former OMR, on uh, number one, I said, I'm not going to put any money into this. Number two, I, the only way I'm going to do it is you just come with me. It'll just be my normal life, taking meetings all over the world. So we ended up in nine countries. It's the editors that made the difference. We had 18 hours of footage. That's why we've done George Uncut. That's that's the stuff stuff left out, including some funny stuff. But the editor put it together where it is a powerful message. It's really, in some ways, a very strong sermon in, in disguise. So, though I'm taking less meetings today through the film and, and YouTube and things like what you do, I'm actually talking to more people at any time in my life. When you first saw the the, the first cut of the film, George. What did you think of it? I can't remember now, but, you know, I was still struggling with whether God could use this and how, because I wanted it to be geared to young people. So it, I wanted it to be fast moving and it, it ended up. And then the way he decided to make the Moody Radio Studio, because I've been into radio ministry since I was a student, to make the radio studio the hub of the film. You keep going back to that studio. Um, it, it does grab even young people. I'm getting a lot of feedback from the film. So, so how do people get the film? Well, they have to buy it in their Christian bookstore or through Amazon, or they can email me and get a copy. I mean, it's George. It's not for, a free download yet, but you right. can get it quite inexpensively. Is the George for real? Is the real R E E L or R E A L? R E A L. Okay. Yeah. So get the film. Now, we want to also talk a little bit about OM Ships 
because you're now coming up to a rather big anniversary. And I understand the ship will be coming to, to Great Britain. Yeah, we're excited. Um, the ship has been had huge response in Africa, Asia, now Latin America, 10 years celebrating the Lagos Hope, 50 years of ship ministry next year. And the response was more than I ever dreamed when I, when I first launched this. And it was in Bolton, Lancashire, where I first got the thoughts and ideas about the ship. So now they just decided, and I've just been with the UK director, to bring the ship to Europe and to uh, go to six ports here in the UK, which has been one of the hub of the ship ministry because it's a seafaring nation. We've had captains from here, chief engineers from here. Our first chief engineer was Scottish. The, the captain who pioneered this, though he didn't sail with the ship, but he pioneered it, Graham Scott, he was British. And, of course, this is where I ended up making my uh, home. So we really are excited about 2020, but we need more recruits. And we just had an email from the ship. The, the big entry for the ship is in September, and we're very short for the next entry. Mm. So I've just since it's in Latin America, I've just offered a 1,000 euros scholarship to any Latin American because you have to raise your own support. But um, it's it's such a such an outstanding opportunity for young people. It doesn't mean you're going into world missions. That's not what it's about. That's one of the avenues. It's education. It's global exposure. It's it's doing something an adventure that's different. And since we have 50 years to look back, we have so much feedback from our graduates saying that was the greatest year of their life. So uh, I'm I'm of course and one of the reasons I've taken meetings here today in Wrexham is we're always recruiting for the ship, even just for the one-year program, but we're always looking for engineers and captains and gifted people. We're talking with George Verwer, the founder of Operation Mobilization. And one of the things that I am really interested in, George, is the, the ship ministry. You have been involved now in sailing the, uh, the seas for 50, nearly 50 years. Uh, how did the ship ministry begin, and what was the idea behind it? Well, I did a lot of crazy things when I was young, including leaving my wife, who was about to have our first child, behind in New York after living in Mexico together for our first six months of marriage. And uh, I took a ship. I took the Queen Elizabeth to uh, France. Uh, new cars were selling cheap in Paris and not in Madrid, where we were going to live. And she flew in on her own uh, to Madrid. But um, ships got into my DNA, also sailing to India um, twice. My wife three times, once uh, without me. We only just discovered this information recently. But, um, and then having to take all the vehicles over to Europe, always having, we didn't have any tunnel, putting them on ships. But it was in a pub in Bolton, Lancashire, as we thought about the task of reaching the whole world with the gospel, we saw all the water. Um, I thought we had a couple hundred vehicles by then, crisscrossing the world, reaching millions. I thought we need at least one ship we can carry, vehicles on the ship. And we were always struggling with accommodation. We never had enough money. So we're always cutting and, and sleeping in sleeping bags and garages and church floors. And the ship, of course, has the accommodation, has the preaching auditorium, can carry vehicles. It just seemed like such a natural thing. It took a couple of years of praying and convincing people before we got our first ship, which is 50 years ago next year. What? We got Lagos. The Lagos. What, was it, what sort of ship was it? Well, it was um, 
just a few thousand ton, it, it, but it, it housed 130 people, counting the children. Oh. So for beginning, it was a perfect size, yes, perfect ship. Yes. We got 17 or 18 years out of it, then in a very difficult uh, situation in the Beagle Channel off the coast of South America, we lost that ship. It's still there on the rock. We didn't lose any lives. And Lagos Hope has just sailed by there, but they chose a different route. They chose the Magellan Strait rather than the Beagle yeah. uh, Channel. But the ship ministry brought a greater response than we've ever dreamed. Also recruiting people into every other aspect of missions, including at least a 100 different mission agencies have had recruits from the ship, and sometimes their roots in the very beginnings go back to their founder being on the ship or being somewhere else in OM. So we're excited now. The ship is going to come back to Europe for the 50th anniversary events, and we're going to have six ports right here in the UK. I've just been with the UK director talking about that. So it's an exciting period for us, but we need recruits. We desperately need young people willing to give at least a year. If people want to be... uh want to be involved in the ship ministry, what do they do, George, and, and what type of qualifications do they need? We take all kinds of people. Of course, we're looking for engineers and deck officers, but the ship is open door for almost anyone. There's 15 different jobs. There's about 15 different ministries all going on at the same time. The book exhibit tracks the multitudes, but then they go through an interactive gospel presentation. They might go over to this little exhibit in the corner, which is about HIV, AIDS, and moral purity. Um, they may sit in the coffee bar, and OM staff will sit next to them and start talking to them about uh, Jesus. So it's, it really is, it's, it's like a spiritual invasion. And it's always done in collaboration with churches, local churches, uh, especially if they exist, and they do exist in most ports of the world. So if people would like to apply, do they go on a website? Just just Google in OM, Google in my name, and you'll easily find us. Yeah, so yeah. Google George Verwer and send a message. Or OM, org. Yes. One of the things that always amazed me is that you have been in some of the most restricted countries on earth. And yet you've been welcomed. You know, Haile Selassie, I understood, welcomed you. Um, with the help of my friend Peter Conlon, yeah. to uh, Ethiopia. What was the key to being allowed into these restricted well, countries? Well, it's, it's the educational book exhibits, um, the fact that we're like a floating United Nations. People are quite amazed, all these nationalities living together, serving together as volunteers, often raising their own support. Um, that isn't the specialty of the ship that gets you know a lot of publicity, and that is much more difficult today. One of the advantages of ship ministry, it can literally change from one port to the next in terms of how it operates. So when we went into Libya, you know, we had to change that strategy to fit Libya. This is before Gaddafi fell. His sister was very involved with the ship, by the way. I think they even gave us free fuel. But we had to, you know, we had to adjust that program and what we could have on the book exhibit. But usually the Bible is, is, is allowed. And same, when we went to China, twice we've been to China, but we really had to adjust. They, they had so many restrictions. But that's one of the advantages of, of the ship ministry. It's a humanitarian ministry as well as an evangelistic and educational ministry. Now, you have a book with you. 
and it's called More Drops. <laughs> yeah. And your titles are pretty amazing. Tell us about the book, and and also you've been very much involved with messes in the in the church and helping people to deal with messes. Yeah. But first of all, tell us about the book. Well, I've, I've done about eight or nine books, even though I'm not a greatly gifted writer. It's very hard for me to write, unlike you, a gifted writer. But I managed to uh, write those books, get some help from editors. This one, I typed the whole manuscript myself. The this is title. called More Drops, yeah. Mystery, Mercy, and Messiology. Yeah, and Messiology now is the new title. This is the old edition. Okay. 100,000 of these are in print, and the letters are pouring in of lives changed. Because most Christians are a bit judgmental, they're a bit narrow-minded, they're a bit legalistic, and this book just shatters that and just shows a wider way of God working in different churches, different denominations, different pe- even people that you and I may not agree with, may, may not even like to go there. We can't tell God not to go there. And so God is really transforming people's thinking. It's a theological issue, really, because mm. we may have all the attributes of God right, but how those work out into our human society, I think we often have it wrong. Whenever you've been in a mess in OM and you had to deal with problems, how have you got around that? Well, this may sound strange, but one of the greatest things that happened in my life is learning how to accept unresolved situations. I think it's part of our toxic perfectionism that we're going to resolve every situation, every relationship. And we get these very destructive ideals. Remember, it's Kierkegaard, that great Christian philosopher in Denmark, seeing the state of the church in Denmark in those days. Uh, he said, you know, we create this great Christian ethic and then we kill ourselves on that ethic. You know, when I share this message to the younger generation, the response is huge. In Germany recently, 95% stood and responded to my call for commitment to a grace-awakened, radically committed life. So I just believe with all my heart we're, we're, we're coming into a new period in which we're going to see the bottom line challenge of 1 Corinthians 13, love. We're going to see that more operative and people controlling their tongues more and, and guarding their attitudes and demonstrating the love and graciousness of Christ even with strong convictions at the same time. Now, you talk about a mess. <laughs> we came back a year ago, George, and we got this Brexit mess here in Britain. What are your thoughts about Brexit? For those who don't know, is the exit of Great Britain from the European Union, and uh, it just seems to go on and on and on. Are we going to leave? Are we going to stay? What are your thoughts as an American who lives in Britain? First of all, I got uh, 50 years studying British history and visiting every part of the country and interviewing informally you know, over 1,000 people. And uh, it's always been a mess here. You know, so people ought to restudy, you know, they need to restudy history. This is a small mess compared to what we had in those two wars. Yeah. And we dare not forget those wars and all the hundreds of thousands of lives. And I just believe it's part of our human sinfulness that we will make a mess. Every government has embedded evil, com- you know, combating with, with good and Christian values. And it's never going to be just totally resolved. So I believe the key thing for us as believers is to realize we are God's people and our focus needs to be God and what God is doing in the midst of the mess. 
and the church is 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 experiencing renewal in some places here in the UK. The whole story, and I'll be meeting with Nikki Gumbel again soon, of of HTB and and the Alpha courses, and the story of OM, because this is our heartland. Uh, it's it's encouraging, and globally, if people think globally, this is the greatest period in missions history. There's never been anything like it. Hundreds of thousands coming to Christ. And the first time in history that large numbers of Muslims are coming to Christ is now 60 places in the world where you can find at least a 1,000 Muslims worshiping Jesus. There's one town not far from here where they baptized dozens of Muslims in the past couple of years. Just a little town in the north of England. So we, we shouldn't lose our focus through this Brexit thing or any other thing. We, we are different. We're transformed. And uh, we have this hope that people don't have. And it's sad that today atheism is getting a stronger voice here in the UK and young people are falling for it without research, without studying different sides of the story. And I know I've gone through the same struggle and almost lost my faith at university before I ever went to Moody. But they're unwilling to, and they don't take time to look at both sides of the story and the atheistic propaganda like that final book that just came out by that great physicist uh, Hawkins, he's in his final book said, there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no eternal life, where his previous book gave some ray of hope that there was a creator God. So young people are somehow being impacted. So our, we got a big challenge to reach the young people of the UK and all Europe and all the world. It's not going to be easy. But Jesus never promised an easy time. Do you, do you think the social media has played a role in the gospel being preached of the entire world? Absolutely. I mean, it's also one of the biggest tools in the hands of the devil. But that's nothing new. The devil has been able to use pretty well everything you can imagine. So I don't understand why God's people are not more concerned about the poor and the suffering. And I thank you, Dan, that you've always had this heart for the poor and the suffering. And you've tried to live a lifestyle where the most could go out for the needy and the suffering and to give people the gospel. We and that's what I preached about here this morning, a very strong message that people should realize the importance of giving. And also as they get near the end of their life to make sure in their will, surely every believer should leave something in their will to give to, to global evangelism and, and the world's uh, world missions. Well, we've been speaking to the one and only George Verwer. Uh, George, what a joy to see you again. And uh, we want to ask people to pray for George. And again, go to georgeverwer.com, V-E-R-W-E-R.com, and you will be blessed and you'll be encouraged. George, thank you so much. Thank you. Praise God. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.